Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. It's an international break weekend as uh, we record this. So obviously there's been no Manchester City first team game, but they will resume the Blues against Manchester United, the lads from Stratford uh, next weekend. Um, so we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But before I introduce you to my guest, uh, let me just thank the supporters and sponsors of this podcast, without whom there would be no podcast. So thanks very much to Howard Solicitors, who have offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance in whatever it might be, then they'll have somebody who can help you. You can call them on 0161 872 9999 or email law at howardsolicitors.com or indeed just have a look on their website so a big shout out to howard and henry solicitors uh, they're based on wellington road in stockport but also on the net so if you're from outside the area i'm sure they'd be delighted to help you especially if you say that you came to them through the forever blue podcast so um we're gonna not have a match specifically to talk about although we can go look back a little bit on the Wolves game maybe and look ahead to the Manchester derby but there are one or two issues other issues that I want to speak about this week as well and just by the way heads up that uh, at the Manchester derby I will be doing my my match day vlog on YouTube as usual and on that channel at the moment you can hear part of the Joe Royal content that we did in last week's audio podcast in video form so if you like to look at people's faces watch it on your screens in front of your TV then you can do that with an, a sizable chunk of what Joe Royal had to say last week. And after the derby, and I don't want to confuse you, there'll be a video, yes, on YouTube, but here on the audio channel, the audio podcast, we will also be dissecting the derby and we'll be recording it at three or four hours after the game is finished in that evening. So uh, please join us for that as well. So my guests on this particular podcast, um, we have... Uh, Stephen, who's been on before, who's from the Berry branch of the City Supporters Club. We have Tony, who I've known for some considerable time, who has uh, been with me in previous uh, uh, incarnations that I've had, shall we say, on radio stations and whatnot, and is obviously a big blue. And joining us in a few minutes will be Mike Shaft. Now, that name might mean nothing to you, but Mike is in the Manchester area, a very well-known broadcaster who when I was growing up, and obviously I may well be a lot older than you, but when I was growing up uh, was on Piccadilly Radio, which at the time was a huge, huge radio station. And uh, the DJs, the presenters in those days were absolute superstars. And Mike is one of those. He's very, he's, he's obviously a City fan. I wouldn't have him on the podcast, there'd be no point. So he's a City fan, but he's also very much into his American sports because one of the subjects that I want to talk about today is uh, the suggestion that uh, may come to fruition in a couple of years that uh, some of the Champions League games, not just cities, but Champions League games, might be group games, group stage games, might be played in the USA, might be played in Asia, or out of basically Europe and certainly out of Manchester if it was a home game. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first of all, just let me look back, or let's, let's look back a little bit on the Wolves game Um to, to just see where we're up to because during this weekend there's been an England game perhaps a disappointing England game against uh, Italy and as we're recording this there'll be a game against Germany tomorrow and Wales have played against uh, you know various teams in Scotland and Northern Ireland so there have been internationals Norway have played I know that Erling Haaland scored so I'm just curious before we talk about City specifically and we'll start perhaps with Tony. Do, do you watch the international football when there is no Manchester City Premier League football, Tony, or do you just disconnect for a weekend? No, I mean, I, I tend to sort of dip in a little bit, to be honest, and especially if, if we've got any of our players uh, involved. So it would have been, you know, good to see um, Erling Haaland if we'd got a chance to see that uh, playing for Norway, just to see how he uh, is, is coping there. And obviously... He scored again, so you know that's great. Just keeps him on track as regards to that. Hopefully, our physios have uh, have, have kept check on him and making sure that he's doing everything uh, correct. So that, that that's good from that point of view. Um, but generally, I, I'll be honest. I mean, um, the England side when I looked at it uh, the other night, um, I wasn't that intrigued to be honest. So I, I must admit, I didn't watch the the full game. Um, 
I find them quite boring, to be honest. Um, but if, if we've got one of our players or a couple of our players in, then it does give me a little bit more focus. But other than that, that's it really for me from an international point of view. So when the England players, City players were playing for England, was your only focus on hope they don't get injured? Or, or you know, was there another emotion involved in all that? No, I mean, I like to see our players doing really well, you know, uh, and and of course, yeah, obviously we don't, you know, we don't want any injuries. Um, so yeah, so my focus is is on that. Obviously, when it's um, a game of some importance, you know, obviously with the World Cup coming up and that, of course, I'll be I'll be behind them and I'll watch it with great interest from that point of view. And again, hoping that 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 our players, our Man City players, you know, um, stand out, uh, which. You know, looking at the players that, that that are involved in or will be involved in the World Cup squad, I I can't see that being a problem to be honest. As long as they're given license to do what they're what they're good at, and and I think that's key really. And I think um, in terms of Southgate's role um, and the way that he contains players, the way that he plays fairly defensive, I'm just hoping he lets them off the leash a little bit because I think that your Grealishes and your Foden uh, and, and players like that um, and Sterling included in that as well give entertainment and and a purpose as well, as far as I can see. Stephen, I mean, I know you're a, an England fan, so I'd be surprised if you didn't watch England. Did you, do you watch them? Believe it or not, Ian, I didn't. I, uh, me and my wife went out for a meal, actually, on Friday. And I, I've got to the stage where, as you know, I, I've done 150-odd England games all over the world. And went 20 years, we've only missing one home game. But now... I just tend not to watch them. I've I've just fell out of it completely. Uh, even when we've got our own players playing, I think I'm more on the side of, well, don't get injured. And I just, uh, I, I don't like Southgate, so that uh, sways it a lot for me. And it's very, I, I, I don't mind the tournaments and what have you. It's even tomorrow night when we play Germany at home, I probably won't even put that on the TV. I've gone from sort of one extreme to the other, really, there. Wow. Now, I, I didn't warn you that we were going to be uh, joined by Radio Royalty, uh, a man who was uh, an idol of mine when I was growing up because I was an avid listener of Piccadilly Radio. So for those who are listening outside of the UK, and I know we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast from outside of the UK, it might well be that uh, Piccadilly Radio means nothing to you, but I can tell you that the, the DJs, the presenters on Piccadilly Radio uh, in their heyday, which would have been in the 70s and 80s, um, was the, the guys who presented, the ladies who presented at that time were proper superstars. And this man is one of them. Um, his name is Mike Shaft. And I am honoured, he's a blue, by the way, but I'm honoured to have Mike on the podcast. So, Mike, very, very warm welcome. Um, Thank you very you much indeed. And you have that that sort of voice that is made for radio, Mike. So uh, <laughs> as soon as people start to hear your voice, they'll understand why you're such a legend. So tell us about you being a blue for a start off. Uh, you've been a blue all your life, haven't you? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I came to the UK in 68 and went to my first football game with a friend of mine in school. We used to go to Two Trees School in Denton and we went to see one game at United and one game at City in whatever year it was. They were playing each other, so it was the reverse fixture. And I absolutely loved it. But uh, I didn't go to football. I don't go to football now in any, you know, very occasionally. I might get invited by somebody and I will go. But um, in those days, I didn't go. And there was so much trouble at football in the 70s that I was terrified. I don't know if any of you remember the case of the dart. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Old Trafford, I remember that, that. That terrified me. I'll mm. never forget opening the paper on a Sunday and seeing that. It terrified me. And I stayed away, uh, away from football. But I watched tons of football on, on the telly and I listened to tons of football on the radio. I love Five Live. What they do is just magnificent. Talk sport when they have a, a, a Prem game is absolutely wonderful. So I'm still involved. I have all the ways of getting uh, football on television. I have Sky and various other means, BT Sport. And I watch whatever's on, to be honest. There are very few teams that I would switch off. 
Well, that's fascinating. I should just, by the way, put into context for anybody who doesn't understand what it means about the dart and everything, because I remember it distinctly. I'm pretty sure it was Remy Moses, the United player, who um, walked around Old Trafford at a derby match with a dart in his head, which may well have come from his own fans, actually, because there were darts raining down on the City fans in the end that day. And it was at a time when football violence and aggravation uh, was at its absolute worst. But, Mike, you, you, you're a great guest to have on because we have a lot of a lot of guests on my podcast are people who, like me, who go to a lot of the games. Stephen is as obsessed as me. He's been going home and away all his life. Tony goes to games, you know, and, and lots of the other members of the cast do. And I don't want to exclude people who consume the football in a different way. And because of the, some of the subjects I want to talk about tonight, you're a perfect consumer, Mike, because you you take the game on television, on radio and everything like that. And it isn't the be all and end all for you to be at a game. So how, how do you think you differ from, from fans to begin with who, who well, go to the games? This is a very interesting question for me because people t- tend to look down their nose at those of us who don't go to games. Well, you know what? I pay big money. It is now over £100 a month to get Sky. That money goes to the players, goes to the clubs because they provide the service for Sky. So I, I view myself as important as any fan who goes to games. This is big money spending for me. And I'm not a rich bloke. You know what we get paid in radio. So, no, I have no problem with watching the game on television. I love it. If, if somebody invites me to a game, I'm happy to go and sit there and enjoy it. When I was at, at uh, Radio Manchester, the boss there would get tickets very regularly and she'd spread them around the staff and I got to go quite regularly. And I would go tomorrow, but I'm not going if I have to pay t- for tickets. I pay my money to football via Sky. And that's a valid viewpoint, whether whether you like it or not, that's a valid viewpoint. Now, I did say before you joined us, I was going to talk about the Wolves game, but let's park that. Maybe we come back to it if necessary later on. But one of the subjects I really want to get my teeth into, and you're a perfect guest for this, Mike, for so many reasons, but the other two lads obviously have their views as well, is that one of the subjects that is supposedly being talked about at the moment, because we all know that there's going to be a restructuring of the Champions League. So this season, the current season and next season, the format remains exactly as it is at the moment. So um, there are six group games, three at home, three away. You play the same teams home and away before Christmas. And then after Christmas, it's the last 16 quarterfinals, semis and a final in a neutral venue. Now, a couple of things that have been suggested that I'd love to get your views on. are First of all, um, that instead of there being a two-legged semi-final and a final, that there will be a one-legged semi-final and final, but they will be in the same city and they will be, uh, you know, basically the, 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 the semi-finalists, let's say it's Turin where the final is, just for argument's sake, that the last four will all go to Turin and spend a week there and maybe on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, the two semi-finals are played. The two winners stay in Turin and then play in the final. So it becomes a little tournament in that city. So instead of it being two semis and then a month later, the final somewhere else, that's how it will be. What, what, first of all, before we go into more details about other things, what do you think of that? And let's start with Stephen. I mean, is that an idea that you... I mean, it happened a little bit with the Champions League behind closed doors, didn't it? Um, yeah. Is that something you would buy into? Um, I don't know really. It's no. Let me say no for now, and then uh, you know they go on about the Champions League as though it's the only grail, and it, it, for me it isn't in my. You know, if you give me the choice of winning the Premier League or the Champions League, I'll take the Premier League every day. But the Champions League, with them building it up like they do, so what is wrong with the format now? Then, if 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 it's that good now. Why do they need to keep changing it? And why, you know, for the extra group games and what have you? Obviously, we know the reason is money. But no, I, I, I don't like it as it is. I'll be honest with you. The, the way UEFA sort of take over, I can understand why certain clubs wanted to go in this Super League because they had, they had a bigger say and obviously got a bigger share of the money. But UEFA just take all the money. You know, and the the way they do it, 
and and as as fans as well, all of a sudden they like Rangers the other week. They said, "Well, you you can't play on the two. You're not playing on the Tuesday. You can play on the Wednesday, but away fans are now banned from both games." So the Napoli fans that were probably even on the way to Glasgow at that time, what what happens to them when they pay for the trip and what have you? As as you know, we, what happened in Moscow to the City fans the other year? You know, you can't keep. I know you're in charge of it and you 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 earn your money off it. But if it's that good now, why do we need to change it? Tony? Um I think in terms of um the mini tournament, I quite like the idea of that. Um and you're quite right, we we did do that um when it was all behind closed doors. I mean the only the only thing for me, I don't think it'll make a real difference to the two sets of fans that are going for the respective their semi-finals. So let's say it was City and Madrid. I, I don't think it would encourage the City and Madrid fans to stay and uh, as part of the experience to go and watch the second semi-final, especially if, if you've lost. So I don't know if the idea behind that is maybe trying to encourage that. So you buy one ticket that, that, that takes you to both of them games. And as an avid football fan, maybe something like that. Uh, would be of interest, but I think it would probably be of more interest to the neutral um, from that respective country to watch that. So that, that for me, I don't think the individual fans, it will change too much, but maybe the area in which it's in, there might be the availability for uh, the local fans to maybe take ownership of that and go and support a particular side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in, in terms of the group stages, I think, it, uh, you know, it, it going off what's been said, we're, well, don't go into look- the group stages just yet. I'll come, okay. I'll come on to that. Right. Just before I come to Mike, I'll just throw this in as well, because I'm trying to think of it practically. And Mike mm-hmm. will perhaps have a different take on this because of the way that he consumes football. Uh, but because I'm a, a regular traveller, one of the concerns when the, when the groups are drawn out and the reason it takes a while for the fixtures to be set, it, it took two days after the draw was remem- uh, made, if you remember, before they actually announced the fixture dates. And the yeah. reason for that was that they were frightened of fans from more than one club, particularly of the same country, being in the same city at the same time. So, for example, if Atletico Madrid were playing United on the Tuesday and then Real Madrid were playing City on the Wednesday, that would be something that they would want to keep apart. And if they played two semi-finals in the same city, that problem would come back, you know, that that potentially could come back. And similarly, if you're asking people to commit to go to a semi-final not knowing if there's going to be a final, and I'm talking practically here, you'd be booking hotels for four or five days, mm-hmm. not knowing whether you wanted to stay for the final as well or whether you'd want to come home. There's all sorts of practical considerations yeah. to be taken into account. Obviously, and this is, and I certainly don't mean this the wrong way, and I hope you know that, Mike, but because you're more of an armchair supporter, you will look at this slightly differently, and that might not matter to you. So I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are of creating this sort of potential of two semi-finals and a final in the same city over a sort of four or five day period. I'll say this, I'll start off and make my opinion very clear. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I see nothing wrong with the way the uh, UEFA look after the Champions League. I think it's absolutely fantastic. The home and away, the the situation where you play them uh, back to back, you know, type thing. I think it's just wonderful. And I don't see why it needs changing. And maybe they'll make more money. Maybe they'll sell more, more hotel rooms. I don't know. I think it's fine as it is. And I think if they mess with it, they're only opening the possibility to more problems, different problems. Would it appeal to you, though, as as a fan, you know, the fact that it was all in one location? Because when we have World Cups, the fact they're often located in one location and it means that it becomes a bit of a mini festival. Would that appeal to you? Jeezy, if if we could have mini festivals that didn't lead to violence, some of which we've seen in the last few years, then that would be fine. I wouldn't have any objections. I don't think it's needed. We used to have something in basketball finals weekend and we would, four teams would go. We played the semifinals on the Saturday. So, you know, somewhere like the O2 in, in London and then the final, sometimes a third, fourth playoff before the final. But, you know, it was great and you had a weekend away, but I, it's not for me really. 
we now play until we get to the final. And the final is the only game that goes to the main venue. Cost a fortune to go there, but it's worth going. The difference, of course, in basketball, and it probably could apply to rugby league particularly as well, is that fans, first of all, have a different relationship with each other and they're far more interested in watching the other matches, which is what Tony was sort of alluding to, that maybe local fans could go. But we also know that if City were to get to the Champions League final, uh, they might get an allocation of that final of, I don't know, 10, 15,000 tickets. And every man and his dog would want those tickets. So the the distribution of tickets and the way that those tickets would be spread out among the, you know, the sort of travelling fans, if you like, would be very much hampered by it being in one place. And it wouldn't be, I think there'd be a lot more negativity and aggression from football fans towards the concept of, of doing that. You can talk about it hypothetically, but it's just not going to happen, Mike, is it? No, I don't, man, I don't think it should. I think it's fine as it is. It's great to have big games in the Champions League at your home team, at Main Road. Main Road, there you go. That tells how old I am. <laughs> at the Etihad, you know, and you go to that if you want to. It's there. It's a great game. They're always on the telly. So I always get my fix. And then we come to the final and two teams make it there. And then you have a winner. OK, let's move on to the other part, which Tony was sort of skipping on to. So we'll come to you first on this one, Tony. The next suggestion is that, well, we know that from two years from now, instead of there being three at home, three away before Christmas, it'll be five at home and five away. So there'll be an extra two home fixtures and extra two away. And uh, the suggestion at the moment is instead of there being groups of what you might imagine are you know, 10 or 12, there would actually be a league of about 36, 32. I can't, I've lost count of how many it'll be. And something like the top eight will go through. The second eight will go into a playoff or maybe even the next 16. And then some more will drop off, right? It's just very complicated. And you'll, you'll play five at home, five teams at home, a different five teams away and lots of teams in that league, of course, you'll never play, but your points will count to where you are in that position of that league table. So first of all, that seems bonkers to me, but it also means that there are more home games and more away games. And I'm even going to introduce the other part of this, which is the latest discussion that's happening. And I can see where it's going because of what happened with Super League, etc. And bear in mind that uh, only a few weeks ago on this podcast, I mentioned a story about City playing in pre-season in Houston. And I got a City fan on from Houston. And I, I knew the, 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 the scene, the story anyway, because I'd been to a previous pre-season. And I said to him, Englishman, you know, expat lived out there. And I said, how much did you pay for your ticket? And he said, $120, which in today's money is nearly 120 quid because it's almost parity now. You know, it's cheap. But even then was was like 100 quid. Right. And I said, this is for the first pre-season when you know that they're not going to be really at it. They were playing Club America, Mexican team. It was a non-event from our point of view in England, I think. And I didn't even watch it on, you know, on City Plus or whatever. I had no interest in it. He went along to the game, played, he paid his 100 quid. And I said to him, that's a lot of money. I said, I, I've only paid 55 quid to go to the Community Shield and I've got the best seat in the house. And he said, well, that was an average ticket price. And he said, I said, do you not think that's a lot? And he said, I'd have paid more than that to see the Blues. Now, when you hear that answer, you understand then why there is a discussion taking place that when these extra Champions League games are introduced that maybe they will move one or two of these fixtures to the United States. So if City were at home to Seville, it might be that City plays Seville in Los Angeles. And given what that guy said, and my experiences have been in the States, 90,000 might go and watch City against Seville in Houston, sorry, in uh, LA, all paying an average of 100, 100 who knows, 200 maybe, because it's a Champions League game, a ticket, whereas... City against Seville at the Etihad, they have to, they, the club might not want to admit this, but they, they lower the prices a little bit in the group stage because they know that if they pay, charge top dollar for you to go to it, they might not fill the stadium. Go to USA, go to Asia, go to Dubai, they won't have that problem. So you can see why it appeals to them. 
So those are the possible, first of all, we know there's going to be five at home and then five away. But there's also this possibility of some games going overseas. So what's your reaction to that, Steve? Uh, overseas is definitely like nil-nil for me, I'm afraid. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the expats or the City fans in America, there are American and City fans then. You know, good luck, we're all City fans together. But for me, it's uh, it's the UEFA European Champions League. So, therefore, it's a European competition. It's not called anything else for a reason. It's 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 just European and... You know, I, I don't go to every European away. You know, I, I, I sort of pick and choose. But I certainly, I wouldn't be going to the USA to watch us. And if it was an old game, because I go to every old game, I'd be absolutely devastated, to be honest. Uh, I, I just, I just, it's not, it's not for me at all. So if I'm playing devil's advocate, the, the people who are listening to this in the States are rubbing their hands together and thinking, brilliant, they get a Champions League. Who's to deny them? Because they... They are City fans just like you are, Stephen. Yeah, no, no, I'm not, a, you know, good luck to every City fan out there. And But the thing is, is that when you're an American City fan, you know that UEFA Champions League is a European competition. You know, you, you if you wanted to be a regular match-going City fan and you was an American, you would realistically have to move over here. You know, and, and as a what-up, let's turn it around for the NFL where they're playing at Tottenham Stadium or Wembley Stadium. You know, if I was uh, uh, LA Raiders or whatever they're called, you know, if I was one of their season ticket holders, I'd be absolutely cheesed off that one of my own games in that season ticket was being played in London. Well, that's fairly straightforward for your view. What about you, Tony? I mean, you, you, I don't know. You, you give us an idea of the sort of number of games you attend and how it would affect, would it affect you? if some of those games moved abroad. And, and by the way, just the simple numerics, I don't know if you're in the cup scheme, the Champions League cup scheme, uh, it's three at the moment, suddenly it becomes five. Do you think, no problem, five, sign up for it? Or do you think, oh, that's just a bit too much? Or how do you react to the extra games? Um, I mean, two sides, really. I mean, obviously, from, from, from my point of view, um, um, if I wanted to go to every single home game within that, Champions League and one of those games was taken away from me then like Steve said you know you'd be very disappointed because you've lost one of one of your games and it's likely to be uh, one of the bigger games out of that particular group as well okay because they're obviously going to try and market it in in that way from a second point of view I think the Americanism in terms of the, the way that they support um, sport um, and I can only sort of see it similar to uh, rugby league in the sense that um, fans um, are different in some ways in that they they um, go to an occasion and they pay for an occasion. So so we look at the Magic Weekends, uh, you know, where, where you buy your tickets and yes, your team are going to be playing at some point, but you go there for the full day experience. And that seems to be very much a, an Americanism ism way. And also the same with the grand final, you know, there would have been people there that have bought their grand final tickets for, for Old Trafford probably months ago, not knowing whether their team's in there. But the idea is that it's a, it, it, it's an occasion and, that, and that's how they, they, they celebrate it. So that's the only way that I can think that it's, that, that it's aimed at. The other thing for me in terms of the group stage um, was that if, if we're talking that you play, and again, you might yeah, help me on this, but if, if we're playing five games um, home, home and away, there could be a situation where the likes of Real Madrid or possibly Liverpool could actually play easier teams in terms of being able to accrue points than, than you were. So I, I, how, do, how does that work? Because I can imagine there'd be an argument to, to, that, to that effect to say, right, well, we're Tottenham and we're Arsenal and we've not got a really good draw compared to Man City and, and Liverpool and Real Madrid, etc. So that, that would be a bit of a, a worry for me, ultimately, as well. The, the fairness in it. You know, you get given your group as it is now and you're in that group and, and, and that's you to deal with it. But the fact that your team could play a series of, 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 of probably more tougher games as opposed to another team because of their rankings or whatever it is, play a series of um, sort of smaller games. I don't see that as being, uh, being very fair. Um, and in terms of taking, like I say, in terms of taking our games over abroad, I can see how it benefits the area, the country, whether it's in, but not 
from a from an English point of view. And as Steve said before, it's a European competition, therefore it should be in Europe. First of all, I would say that it isn't very clear at the moment how that draw would be made. Um, that needs to be a lot clearer, but I'm sure UEFA, and my job sometimes is to play devil's advocate, will say, well, <laughs> it'll be no different than, than the way the draw is made now in that there will be seeded teams uh, dependent on previous records, on whether you were the champions of your country or whether you weren't the champions. And in theory, it would be seeded and everything would be fair. Now, how practical that is and how they're going to do it certainly isn't clear. Now, Mike, you I can't think of many people who are probably better in a position to talk about this because you're interested, you're a, you know, a big fan of an American sport, let's face it, in basketball, which is, 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 takes place in England, but it's essentially, I would say, an American sport, or certainly that's the one that dominate, dominates it, the NBA. And you know, because of your background and the way you consume, I'm fascinated to see whether games going abroad would bother you, um, whether the, the, this new structure would bother you um, and, you know, just 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 the whole subject, really. What, what What's your take on it? First of all, I don't see why we need more football. There is enough football for everybody as it is. So why do we need to go from three home games and three away games to five home games and five away games? Personally, I don't think it's needed. I think we're putting players through hell at the moment, never mind you know, when we add more games. Are we going to water down what we're doing by adding more games? I think these are questions that need to be asked. I love the Champions League. I love the Premier League. But sometimes, you know, I look at a game and see who's playing and I won't bother to look at it because I've seen three or four games that weekend already. I, I remember going to the Commonwealth Games in Australia and over there, and in Grenada, I went on holiday in Grenada, and the games over there, the Premier League games on a Saturday start because they, they, their time difference start at eight o'clock in the morning and runs right through the day, one after the other. You see it here because it's split between Sky and BT or whatever. Over there, it's one channel right the way through the day, there's Premier League. Where are we gonna fit all these other games? I, I don't understand it. And I have a problem at the moment that's a non-football problem. I think there's just too much sport. I love sport, all kinds of sport, but are they just gonna open new channels and, and who's gonna view them? Well, you know as well as I know, Mike, that this is driven by money. And even though Stephen before, and I understand why you know why you would react that way, saying, oh, UEFA, UEFA, UEFA. Let's not, let's not pretend that, that City, now that they are at the top table, will be one of the driving forces behind this. Um, they go on pre-season to America pretty much every year because they know how much money they're going to make from it. And this is driven by money. Extra games generate extra revenue. And if a game goes abroad, as I've illustrated, that will bring in far more money than the equivalent game would do here. Money drives everything, Mike, doesn't it? Perhaps it shouldn't, Ian. Perhaps it shouldn't. As I say, we're putting too much pressure on players now. Um, people are getting injured. You know, what happens if Haaland gets injured on a, on a... I won't use a swear word, but on a game being played by City in America? You know, that could destroy City's season. And somebody needs to think about this. We have some of the finest players in the world now playing in our league. We have some of the finest players in the world playing in our city. And I don't see why we should put that at risk. Yes, Liverpool come to play City and somebody can get injured there, but that's a bona fide game of football. You go away and you play friendlies or you do, and I know it's, it's A, it's money, but it's also spreading the word of the Premier League here, there and everywhere. I remember a problem I had some years ago. I, I was in Turkey on holiday the way I'm talking in the sense of as if I go away every week I was in Turkey on holiday okay and it made me laugh because I know in this country you're not allowed to uh show the three o'clock games live on a Saturday right in Turkey that game goes out in Turkey live 
and their fans have been prevented, well, I say prevented, that's a strong word, have been offered the opportunity to stay at home and watch City versus Liverpool or City versus United and not go to their own game. If you see, so you see where I'm going with this. We need to understand we have a great league. We don't need a Super League. We've got that in the Champions League. Let's, and I say champions, you know, like it's the champions. Um, that needs to be sorted out. We have a great game. I think football is wonderful. I think the way it's structured now is absolutely brilliant. The fact you can get European competition down to six and seven in, in the Premier League, it's wonderful for those teams, you know, but can they sustain that? Can they then add games in America, games in Qatar or wherever? I don't know. Here's, here's a question for you, Mike. I don't know the answer to the first bit of this. If the NBA staged a game between, I don't know, the Lakers and the Magic or whatever. The, I think those are two legitimate teams. Two Forgive legitimate me for, names. Yeah. Right, good, right, I'm glad I got that bit right. If, if one of their games was moved to, I don't know, Wembley or maybe the new co-op arena, which is being built next to the City Stadium, would you be in favour of that? It happens now, and I would not be against it. They're looking to spread the word of basketball across the world. It is dominated in America. They dominate. Some European countries have very competitive teams. Some South American um, countries develop wonderful players, some of the best players ever. And they all head to the NBA. One day, some of the great players in this country, if we could build our league up, will remain in this country. But, I mean, I, I went to a game, in fact, I commentated a game at the O2. It was wonderful. I mean, the presentation, and I think we do a good job with presentation here, but when they come to town, different scale. Absolutely awesome. And I'm sure, just one more thing, and I'm sure that's what the American fans of City look for when City versus whoever come and play in their town. But you know that the reason I've asked you that question is basically I'm saying to you, you know, and I thought you might say that you would approve of it being the other way around. Yeah, yeah. But not the way around where we send our game over there. Well. It's a tough one, isn't it? It is a tough one. I think football is more developed in the States than basketball is in this country. They've got the MLS for a start off, haven't they? Yeah. So they're already on the way to, to building their game up. We're way behind, way, way, way behind. I will make this observation. London Lions, who were taken over in the, the last closed season by uh, an American company, um, who also invested in the league, now have ex-NBA players in their team. They came to Sheffield on Friday night. My God, there's this guy called Decker. Oh, my goodness. You know, so they, they, they're cross-fertilizing each other. And it's a good thing. I don't think football needs to do that. I don't think there's a place on the planet that doesn't know a good football game when they see it. So you're all for keeping the extra Champions League games, the League Cup final, whatever it might be, in this country and not taking it to America? Well, you know, if they want to take the Champions League final to America, then do it. I don't have a problem with that. As long as we know it's going to happen and if... Whoever gets there, whether it's Real Madrid or City or whoever else, they know where, that's where their fans are going to do. I think the danger is adding to what we've already got. I think we're pretty much at peak to get the best performances all the time from the players. If we well, ask let, me, let, let me just pin you down a little bit more then. So yeah. imagine there wasn't going to be five ex, five home games mm -hmm. and five away games, and it stayed at the three and three, mm -hmm. but they said one of those three was going to move to the States. Would you be more in favour of it then? Well, you see, this is, this is the difficulty I have now, because that wouldn't bother me. It'll still be on my telly when I tune in. I understand that you guys who go to games would miss it and would feel strongly about it. Me, I don't care. I switch on my telly, it's there. Well, that's an honest answer. I know you wanted to say something, Stephen. Oh, just Mike, you know, you know, is there a Champions League basketball, you know, for, for European teams? Um, well, each, oh, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer. There, there is competition between countries. 
European competition, um, we don't even figure, honestly. We don't get anywhere near there. Um, we went to the last one, the most recent one, which only finished in a, a few weeks ago, and we didn't win a game, if my memory right. serves me right. Um, the, the Greek teams, Greece has one of the best players in the world at the moment, Giannis. Uh, he's just awesome. Um, so you get teams like that, Serbia produce great players, Germany, Spain, <clears throat> France. We just don't. We really don't. We're, we're way down on the on the, the foot structure. Um, to follow that up, Mike, as well, do, do the American teams come and play the Europeans or vice versa? Do, mm, does that is that involved or is the American no. teams just play each other? They play each other. They they yeah. bring they bring a show when they come to the O2. Two of their teams, yeah. all their stars turn up and they put on a show. And it is awesome, like I said before. Um individual players, of course, can play can play where they want. NBA contracts are worth a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Just just to, to sort of wrap this up, because there is no conclusion from it, because first of all, no definite decisions have made been made beyond UEFA's proposed plan in two years to extend in the way that I said. The conversation about playing games uh, abroad is still ongoing. Um, and I think from this, thanks to your honesty, Mike, as, 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 as the person you are, you've given the other perspectives. So I'm so glad that you're part of this podcast. And we've heard from Stephen and Tony. Of course, I'm a match going fan and I have been now for, for 45 years, home and away. It would break my heart if games were moved. I, I love the States, by the way. I've got no problem with the States. or tra I love travelling. But there would come a breaking point. And I remember talking a long, long, long time ago when English clubs were banned from Europe and the proposal was to bring in the full members cup, which has obviously been and gone. They still have the, the, the one for the two lower divisions, which is called the Papa John's trophy at the moment, which came in at the same time. But when that full members cup came in, I said to one of the city directors, you're not going to enter city. Aren't going to, you're not in favor of this. Surely because nobody will want to go and watch this. It's just a meaningless competition. And he said, no, no, we don't mind extra games, extra revenue. And I said, how many people do you need the, the turnstile to go to a game? And they, at the time he said to me, well, we need about 4,000 people to come through the turnstiles at main road to basically pay for the police, the stewards, the lights and everything like that. Everything after that is profit. Now that might be a bit simplistic, but that was the figure he gave me. So I said, well, what if you get 4,500 then? And he said, well, that's a profit then, isn't it? Well, worth staging. Well, I said, what about the 30,000 or 40,000 or 50,000 who come every week and you've stretched their loyalty uh, you know, that little bit more, and you've broken the habit with them if they miss a game. Ah, we're not worried about that as long as we get more than 4,000 for that game. Short-term thinking, I thought. Now, me, personally, you know, I, I pay for my ticket. I'm a, you know, I buy my tickets, and I'm thinking two more games. My family have season tickets as well, you know, and pay for champ. Is two more Champions League games for a start-off, is that too much? Is that break the bank? Possibly. It's another two midweeks I've got to commit to. Four, if I go to the away games as well. And if they're going to play a game in America, I'm probably not going to be able to get there. And once you miss a game, then you think, well, I can miss another one then, can't I? Maybe I'll miss another one. And I've missed that one and it wasn't that painful, so maybe I'll miss another one. But Ian, so there's lots of, lots of risks, I think, in, in, in taking that approach. Isn't the danger that people will then start saying, oh, it's it's only Milan this week. I won't go to that. Which is where the idea of moving to the States comes into its, its own. Because if the City fans, let's make it a very City thing, the City fans think we're playing Milan again, to use your example. Mm. Um, well, don't worry about it because we're going to play that one in LA. You can watch it on TV. They'll they'll appreciate it more than you and they'll pay more for it. And isn't that really the bottom line of all this? It, it, anyway, let's let let's let's park that one and see how it develops. But that was an interesting discussion, particularly um, bringing in Mike's perspective. But one of the other knock-on effects, by the way, of this Champions League is another suggestion that they've been talking about this week, which won't come into effect for at least two seasons till the Champions League's expanded. But the League Cup, at the moment, 
the League Cup. I mean, I know this is an odd season because of the World Cup, but at the moment, the League Cup, you know, is, is there's no replays. Um, it goes straight to extra time and all that sort of stuff. The next proposal is that the teams who qualify for the Champions League, who have all these extra games, and maybe the teams who are also in the Europa League, by the way, won't be in the League Cup. They'll play their under-21s teams. So it won't actually be City's first team. It'll be the under-21s. I go and watch the under-21s, the EDS, from time to time. Love watching it. But it's not the first team. Is that something you'd be in favour of, that suddenly the League Cup becomes a, a competition for everybody except those in Europe and the under-21s go in there? What, what do you think of that, that one, Stephen? Uh, no, because I, I like the League Cup. Uh, as you know, I've got a family history in the League Cup and from playing on the playing side. but And I love watching us win the League Cup. You know, I, I'm, I'm on the League Cup scheme. I love watching the League Cup. I, I don't want to lose that tournament. I understand that if an under-21s team gives them the chance then to play men's football more, uh, and, you know, I appreciate that young players have got to do that. But for me, I want to watch City's first team take the League Cup seriously, which all credit to Pep, he does. He never, he never shirks anything. He does blood a few new ones now and again. But you, when you're saying that as well, is if you're saying UEFA are going to put five on five away, that's 10 midweeks. So then where does the under-21 team play in that midweek when there's a European game? Because if we wanted, say, to go and watch this League Cup tie, uh, and that was drawn at home the same week there's a European game, you know, you go to every game. So what do you do then? You're going that, now. That miss, but, you're but going they would argue that's, game. They argue that's not a first team game. It's under twenty one game. Well, it's not. It's a first team fixture. When we're playing that uh, Papa John's trophy, we played Mansfield away. They put their first team out. It's a first team game for them. You know, even I know it's our under twenty ones, but you know we we've got to show respect to the teams that are in it. You know, like if if Wolves finish eighth and they don't get in the Conference League. You know, they're going to put their first team out or, you know, and all teams do put, you know, younger players in to give them a, a run out. But it, we, we need, we show that competition the utmost respect and it should carry on that way. You, UEFA, for me, just want to fill every midweek from September to December. They want their tournament on TV every single week. They don't like it. There's a there's a, the odd week where there's a Premier League midweek fixture or there's a League Cup game September, October, November. They don't like that. They want the midweek fixtures. Far be it from me to defend UEFA, but are they not just doing this because of the what happened with Super League and the Friday would happen again? Well, the, the, I, I think that what they're actually making it worse. You know, at, at, at this stage now where we're looking at player development, as Mike uh, Mike said before, about the treatment of the players and all the games. You know, that was one of the things where if there was... I don't want the Super League, by the way, and I know it sounds like I'm sticking up for it, but I don't. Then players would have only played a certain amount of games because there was only 10 teams in the Super League. Was there 12 or something? But now UEFA have said, right, no, well, we're not having this Super League and you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. But we're going to fill every midweek. UEFA is driven by television money. You know, and, and the Premier League is, let's face it. But UEFA wants to fill every midweek of their competitions so that the rest of Europe and the rest of the world are watching their competitions. Tony? Yeah, um, I just want to go back. I mean, to be honest, I could quite easily go back to what we were talking about before because I had quite a few questions for Mike before, but that's fine. We've missed that now. But um, in terms of the uh, the League Cup, um, I think something needs to change in it, to be honest, because I don't think it's treated the way that it is by other teams. So we needed to revamp. We needed to do something with it. Um, I think that if we introduce a place um, uh, that, that maybe takes you into the Champions League place or, or something along them lines, then I think that would then encourage teams to, to put a, um, a, a, a strong team in that, in that side, in the yeah, game. Yeah, but, but, that, uh, but that's not the issue, is it? 
what I'm, what we're saying is that it would become a rule, not not a choice, a rule that everybody who qualifies for Europe would put on the 21 team in that competition. Yeah, but I think that that when we say about the under 20 21 side, if you look at if you look at some of the other sides, um, the fact that Man City, Liverpool, and some of the other clubs there have got um, um, a, a bigger uh, squad of players uh, or more quality players, then it looks like we're putting a first team squad in in the competition. But in theory, if you were to break that down, and um, for for a lesser team like Wolves or somebody like that, they probably are pretty much putting a, an under twenty one side in the game anyway, and they're certainly resting the majority of their players. But if, if but if them under twenty one players, um, and it's I don't know how you would do, it, but if if they're separate and they're not part of the squad, do, do we make the squad bigger? So therefore, it still becomes a first team fixture. Because if you make the squad bigger, then in theory, it's still a first team fixture because they are representing the first team and part of the first team squad. So th- th- there's different ways that you look at it, but. I certainly think that it would affect teams like Man City because um, they would be putting um, obviously under twenty one side in it, but I don't think it make I don't think it would make that much difference to to other sides because I don't think we treat the competition fairly anyway, to be honest. And I think we're fortunate with our depth in squad, like some of the other bigger teams that can do what we do in order to balance the fixtures up. Going back, I'm sorry if if you don't mind, but just going back to this. Um, situation where we were talking about the the American situation. The, the, the other the other thing for me is the um, is the dead rubber games. We've got dead rubber games in, in in when we've got three games in some cases because if you win the first few games, then pretty much there you 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 you're pretty much guaranteed that that you're going to finish top or second. And there isn't that much difference between top and second. Um, the the worry for me was that if Man City were to be playing. Um, Seville or somebody like that on one game and uh, the game that, that was going to be taken across America was Man City and Real Madrid, we would get a situation possibly that we would basically water down the event that we're playing at the Etihad due to the fact that we were probably encouraged to play our best team when we play in America. That would be a worry for me because I think it would dilute the game, the previous game, and I think they would be given enough money and probably conditions to say you must play this player that player this player that player and that would affect that would affect the thinking of the game previously because therefore we would make the necessary changes previously that so it would have a knock-on effect so complex issue what are your thoughts on the the under 21s in the carabao cup the league cup mike i've not thought that much about it i know that uh, we have some spectacular under 21s at city who are coming through, you know, who have come through and are coming through. So I think that they could live with just about anybody. Um, I think you have to show respect to the competitions. Nobody collects the the, the Rumbelow's Cup or the Carabao Cup nope. um, and, and, and not celebrate. It's a trophy and it's the only trophy some teams are going to win. And it should be shown respect. That would be my very quick take on it. Okay, well, in the time we've got left, um, I, I'm not going to talk about the Wolves game. Go on, Mike. Uh, just quickly, when you were, uh, and I might be opening a can of worms here, by the way, but I'm happy to do that. When I joined, and I was late, and I apologise for that, um, I think you were talking about the England game. And I have a question for you, Ian, because I, I've been thinking who I can ask this question to. If we got rid of the present England manager, could a Premier League manager job share that role? I think it's and been I know who before. I would like it to be. I think it's it's happened on a sort of temporary basis in the past, if I remember rightly. Stephen might know better. Can't remember it was Terry Venable. Peter, or... Peter Taylor do it once. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Peter Taylor. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the <laughs> now we're talking about extra fixtures and everything, you know, where would the England coach or the international coach get the time in between all these fixtures? I mean, Pep Guardiola complains now about having no time to prepare his team. Imagine if he was, uh, you know, you can't just literally on the uh, after they have played your last league game before the international break, only spend then that next five days with your international team. So in answer, I, I don't think that could work. Mm. I, I just don't think it, it could. 
Um, but, but think what Pep, and I don't want to lose Pep for Manchester City. You know, long before Pep came to Manchester City, I was praying that he'd come to Manchester City because I was sitting looking at the game with my son and I said, it was when he was at Barcelona, I said, do you think they could teach you how to play like that? And he says, yeah, I think so. I says, well, why doesn't Pep come here and teach us how to play like that? Because we didn't play like that then. And now we are. And to me, if Pep had the support staff that he's got at Manchester City, the equivalent, okay, in a second organization, for want of a better word, and he has those people that he uses so well, looking at the, the situation for being the England managers, coach, whatever you want to call it. Think what he could bring to that game, to our England team. And I don't yeah. want to lose him at City. It's an interesting thought. I mean, there are rumours uh, knocking around today that he's about to sign a two-year extension with an option for another one. Um, there's also a suggestion that Phil Foden's about to sign a new deal worth £76 million, I've seen. Neither have been confirmed, incidentally, as we're recording this podcast, but maybe they will be during the time you're listening to this. If Pep does extend, then uh, I don't think he'll be thinking about international management. And I, despite what you suggest, Mike, which, which I can see why you suggest it and how it might work, I personally don't think it would work. Um, but I think Pep's next stop, Whatever, whenever that is, it will be an international manager's job. That's certainly my feeling that he will will do that. Anyway, we must talk about the derby to finish off with because that is the next fixture. And by the time we do our next podcast, which will be recorded on the evening after the derby, it will have been played. So um, and I know players are still away on international duty at the moment, but um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, and that's the last thing I want to do, and I get accused that that by that of that now by my family, who say you've turned into an arrogant. Because when I say oh, I think we'll beat United in the derby, they go you've turned into a United fan, you've become arrogant. And I say, well, no, just look at the evidence of what you see on a week to week basis. It's not arrogance. My brain, the intellectual part, not the emotional bit, says. Why would City not win the next derby? But I'm going to throw it out to you three. We'll leave Mike till the end because he's our special guest. But Steve, you know, the derby is coming up. What do you think? Uh, without being overconfident, without being arrogant, as you say. I've said since 2011, I thought the derby at Old Trafford when Rooney shinned it in, we were probably equally as good as them on the day. The semi-final, they had us under a bit of pressure, but we, we beat them. That was a massive turning point. And ever since then, my thought on the derby is if City turn up and play, we will win. But obviously, we've lost a few derbies. I mean, our home record against them is terrible, apart from last season. So it, 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 I just feel the same. I feel as though if we turn up and play, we will win. They're obviously a lot better this year than they are. But I think the, the recent United-Arsenal fixture said more about Arsenal than it did about United because I, I, I didn't watch it. I don't watch them. Uh, but I was led to believe and told that Arsenal were the better team but couldn't take the chances. And United took their chances, which fair play to them wins the game for them. But I, if, if we take our chances, we'll win the game because we're better than them. We've got a big dream of Haaland playing against Maguire, haven't we? Well, I don't think Maguire plays, does he, anymore? Plays for England, yeah, well, you've got to be praying for Maguire to play, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> You're a terrible cheese, man. <laughs> Go on, Tony, what's your take on the derby? Um, I, I'd like to put a different perspective on it. I think we have to win. I think because the accumulation of games coming up before the World Cup, I think the aim really is to amass as many points as we can. So I think we see it as just like any other game, personally, and I think Pep will do the same. So... Um, on that basis that we have to win, I think we will win because that's the difference in mentality from that point of view. I think he knows how to win these games. Um, but like Steve said, I do think that um, United look a better opposition. And I think the more time that um, that Ten Hag is, is involved with them, they do look a better side. don't think he's quite got the side that he needs to have there at the moment, which is obviously a benefit for, for all the other teams in Man City in particular. But I think that uh, probably is now is a good time to play them because I don't think they're established as they are yet. So, so yeah, bring it on. 
I think you're right in the sense that by the time the World Cup comes around, in theory, City could have, well, they will have two games in hand on many of the other teams in the Premier League. And although games in hand, obviously, could be worth six points, I personally rather have points on the board and have that psychological advantage for when City come back on Boxing Day against Leeds. Uh, So, Mike, as as our special guest, uh, I'll leave you with the final word on this. You'll have seen derbies, uh, you know, Main Road and, uh, you know, and all sorts of, uh, you know, places in the past. So, So what's your take on it? Listen, I'm terrified whenever City play. (laughs) <laughs> Whoever they're playing, I'm terrified they're even not now. Even who, who now, was, who, who, who was the last game they played where they scored in the last two minutes, two goals? Well, they did so, that, um, they've yeah. done that quite a bit recently, actually. Exactly. Aston Villa is That's probably the one you're thinking of. Which one? <laughs> the Aston Villa game at the end of last season. No, 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 this was this season, it's only a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah, it was the Dortmund, Dortmund game, it was, yeah, right. Yeah, the Dortmund okay. game the as thing well. About yeah. it is, and people hate it when I say this, it won't stop me saying it, it is sport. Anything can happen. I'm very happy when City win their games. If I could pick now who I want to win the Premier League, it would be City. I think for numerous reasons, the quality of the football, you see what what they're trying to do. It's it's not always going to work. Sometimes it'll go wrong. And you just have to live with that. But going going to Old Trafford, going to Liverpool to play against Liverpool, Going, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting game. Is going to to Arsenal now, because what he's done down there, that is magnificent. There are no easy games in the Premier League, no easy games. Brighton, look at that. What what was done there before he got the England job or or going to Chelsea job? Yeah, the Chelsea job. But they're talking about him for England as well now. Um, so I'm just happy when City win. If it's a great game and City lose. I can live with that. But, you know, some teams come and, you know, play 10 at the back and it's just terrible. And I'm delighted when City whoop them because I, it, I'm looking for entertainment. I'm looking for sport. And City are providing that at the moment in spades, more so than probably any team this side of Keegan at Liverpool all those decades ago. Um, so City going to United, I'm terrified. United coming to City, I'm terrified until the final whistle. And then I start to breathe again. Yeah, well, we all feel a bit like that. Just before I ask you one more question, Mike, just to finish off the podcast. First of all, thanks very much to Steve and to Tony. And thanks very much to Howard Solicitors. Uh, just a reminder, that they've got offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So if you need some help, whatever it is, you're in a bit of trouble, family trouble or some I don't know car car issue then give them a call 01618729999 or email law at howardssolicitors.com um you are as, as far as I'm concerned an absolute hero Mike you have been for many many years uh, that that magnificent voice that people have heard tonight as well um and one thing that will always stand out for me was that when the Commonwealth Games came to Manchester Um, I was determined to be at the opening ceremony because I considered that to be the opening ceremony of Manchester City's new ground because we knew it was going to be City's new ground. It was the very first event that the public could go to. And I was sat in the open... I'm not going to go into all the details, but people can look it up. But where the souvenir shop is, as we call it, or the store is now, that was an open stand, a temporary stand, because of the layout of the, uh, you know, the track and everything. And I was sat in that. And my mate, Mike, is there in the middle conducting all of the pre-show. And I was thinking, wow, what must that be like? So what was that like, Mike, to be the man who opened the City of Manchester Stadium as was? I know why you saved this question for the end, by the way, because you're going to cut me off when we need to go. My involvement <laughs> with the Commonwealth Games started years before Manchester got it. And I don't know why. I tell people God looks after me because it, I don't know how it happens. I was working at a radio station in Lancaster. The boss there got a letter from this, this organization, which he threw on my desk and said, why don't you apply for that? And it was to get a grant to go to any Commonwealth country in the world for whatever reason you wanted to. I decided I wanted to go to the Commonwealth Games in Victoria, in Canada, 
in 94. Okay, remember, we didn't get here till 2002, in 94. And they asked me why they should give me the money. And I said, because if the games ever came to Manchester, I would know what was expected. And there, there's press on this from, from back then, because I, I talk, told everybody about it. And then it happened. The games arrived in Manchester. The BBC set up a small radio station called BBC 2002 for the game. Again, I had that idea way back. The editor of that, who's a good pal of mine now, he gave me the job, uh, Tim Pemberton, didn't believe me when I said that. I found a press cutting and I sent it to him and he couldn't believe it. I said, we needed a radio station just for the games. And I ended up doing the breakfast show there. It was wonderful. We had everybody through there from the Minister of Sport. All the foreign dignitaries came into there. We were based in the uh, in the foyer of the BBC building on Oxford Road. We had a ball and somebody somewhere was listening. I did breakfast and we just had a laugh. 6.30 till 10 o'clock or whatever it was, I can't remember. We just had a laugh. Somebody somewhere heard my show, liked it. I, Tim called me in one day and said, uh, can I have some of your work? They're interested in listening to what you can do. I put together a tape, sent it to them. A week later, they said they wanted me to do the opening ceremony. And I did it. It was wonderful. But that wasn't the best bit of this because there was an after party. And at the after party, I didn't know many people there. So I stood around, you know, a bit lost. And then I catch this guy's eye and he comes straight over me to me. And he said, I'm producing the closing ceremony. I want you to do exactly what you've just done at the closing ceremony again. It's, it was just a wonderful time for me, but goes way back where I first came up with those ideas. And I, you know, I believe God looks after me, so uh, I'm not surprised. Well, I was at the closing ceremony as well. And, and I can say from the bottom of my heart, Mike, you did a fantastic job. And I was so, so proud of you. I'd, I, you'd been a hero before I got to meet you. I met you when we were at Radio Manchester together. And you're everything I thought you would be. And you're a magnificent man. So it's lovely to have had you on the podcast tonight. Hopefully we'll get you on again. Um, and thanks very much for your time. And thanks very much to Stephen and to Tony. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, thanks for Howard's listeners for their support. Our next video, uh, Forever Blue, will be on YouTube. And it will be about the Derby. Although, you never know, I put, might put a bit of this video up. But in terms of a match day vlog, the Derby. And we will be back with an audio podcast, which we'll record after the Derby on Sunday evening. So have a great week. Let's look forward to the Derby with lots of excitement, anticipation and hope and confidence. And remember this, if you'll remember one thing from this podcast, it's great to be at Blue. <laughs>